1: I always say you can eject the girl out of the cubicle, but sometimes (laughs) the cubicle mindset, you know, the caged mindset comes with you if you don't do the deep work. So success is not always the numbers in your bank account, it's how you get to those numbers, how you feel about those numbers and what you think you have to sacrifice to get to those numbers.
0: Gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people, whoever you are and wherever you are, Welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Seku Gathers, and each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks, just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears, and let's get into this. Come on. Good people, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Prescription Podcast. Today, I had a pleasure of interviewing Miss Lydia Lee at ScrewTheCubicle.com. She's a former tourism and marketing executive turned entrepreneur who now coaches folks on how to leave their nine to five and build profitable businesses for themselves. She's originally from Malaysia, grew up in Vancouver, and now lives in Bali full-time. Must be nice. <laughs> uh, her truth was the fact that success does not have to equal overworking yourself. We also talked about the importance of listening to your body and how many of us follow this life script that's actually not written for us. One of the things we talked about a little bit later on in the conversation was how many times it's some sort of radical life change like death, divorce. It's really loss that spurs us to to change and that If we really are on a day-to-day basis feeling something nagging inside that we need to change, we shouldn't have to use those things as almost like excuses to be able to make a change in our life. We also wanted one of the themes of the entire conversation was really this concept of reinvention and how to do that. So I hope you guys enjoy. Close your eyes and open your ears and let's do it. Good people, Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Prescription Podcast. I am your humble host, Dr. Seku Gathers. and today I am talking with Ms. Lydia Lee. What's up, Lydia?
1: I'm doing good. It's a good
0: morning in one day ahead of you in Bali, Indonesia. That's so cool. That's so cool. I heard you on another interview saying, you know, they're like rice patties right outside your door. I was like, so jealous. I got to get out there one of these days.
1: <laughs> There's all sorts of wildlife and we hope it doesn't interrupt the show today. I've tried to lock out all the roosters, all the ducks and all, all the animals that might come into your backyard in, the, in a tropical island.
0: <laughs> well, the reason I wanted to talk to Lydia, she's a woman after my own heart from the standpoint of helping people really live out their dreams, taking people who were formerly working in corporate and showing them the pathway to entrepreneurship, really utilizing their own gifts and talents. So much of our lives, I feel, is just sort of like encased in this little box that they put, that, that folks put us in. If you think about it, you go to school, in elementary school, they tell you what time to be there, you know, what time you go home, same thing in college, same thing in, in grad school. If You go to grad school, then when you go to work, they tell you what to do, where to go. So you know, this idea of kind of being able to look within and say, hmm, well, what is it that I actually want to do? How do I actually want to live my life? What time do I actually want to start work? Maybe I want to start work at 3 a.m. Helping people and coaching people to that level of freedom, I think, is a beautiful thing. So I really wanted to, to, to talk to you. So I'm glad that you uh, you made the time to come on the show.
1: Definitely. I mean, I I love what you do on the show. And I just thought, my God, this could go on for hours. So let's hope that we get it all packed in in that one hour.
0: Exactly. All right. So let's jump right into the truth prescription. Lydia, give my listeners a little uh, tidbit. What we do here on the truth prescription is we, I don't want to say attack truth, but we expose truth because uh, truth is very uncomfortable. But what, what I know and what my guests realize after time is that once they actually accept a truth, some important truth either about themselves or the world around them, they have a breakthrough. So tell my listeners something either in your personal or professional life where you had a breakthrough after having to accept something real about yourself.
1: Yes. Well, this story starts with a breakdown (laughs) Um, that didn't seem so much like a breakthrough in the beginning of time. And, And it was somewhat, you know, very much related to both personal personal life and professional life. I think everything is connected. We can't separate work and life, actually, even when we try to. It's really hard to take off the mask, you know, between work me and real me. And that was in my in my experience the pain in itself is having to be a different person you know in my regular life and in my professional life so the memory that that comes to me and it's really the the a milestone moment in my life that really I think set was the catalyst for change <laughs> unexpectedly but it happened uh, and this was in in 2012. I used to work as a business development director at an international education institute. So my job was to promote education in Canada. I worked with the Trade Mission and the Embassy of Canada to bring foreign students into our country. And it was a very exciting job on paper. You know, I traveled six months out of the year to really fancy places like Switzerland, France, the Ukraine, Lithuania, you know, places I would never probably usually have gone and really exposed me to, you know, cultures and people. And I really have to thank that job really because it gave me the the bite of the travel bug (laughs) that allowed me to know that actually my happiest place is when i am exploring when i'm learning a different language when i'm kind of being able to almost start fresh again at new territory and this has been very much a part of my new life (laughs) for seven years i've lived in bali but i travel quite often every single year you know it really helps me to see perspective and get myself out of the the mundane routine that we can sometimes set ourselves into So when I was in in, in Russia, this was sort of the dead of winter. Uh, I had been on the road for about 25 days at this point, conference to conference. It's a sexy job on paper, like I said, but you're living out of hotel rooms. You don't see your family very often. You don't get a lot of breaks. And also by that time, I hadn't taken any personal holidays for two years. And part of that reason was not trusting that my work wasn't going to be A pile of crap by the time I come back after Christmas holidays, but also the other part of me was that because I had so much debt in student loans and I moved out of the house at at 16 years old, you know, I came from a bit of a broken family, which we can probably talk about later, you know, and it, it set me into a debt spiral, you know, since I was a very young, at a very young age. And so my responsibility sort of mindset was like, let's just get the payout for the holiday pay and just pay off the loans instead of taking any personal. Time, so I did that, and so by this point, two years, no personal time. When I was in a conference and waiting to get on my agent, you know, meetings that they kind of pack into your schedule, about eight meetings a day, just to make it worthwhile for you to be out there. I actually developed agoraphobia in my hotel room. So I was in on a conversation with my boyfriend at the time, talking about how exhausted and how burnt out and how worn out I was, and what the f was I doing in a in in the middle of winter in Moscow <laughs> that. And that moment wasn't the friendliest place for me, <laughs> you know. It wasn't a, a beautiful, you know, it was dark and just snowy all day long. And then I had this moment of just like I really don't want to be here. And then he he said to me, I've never heard you this way. You always seem so in control. You always seem so, you know, that you've never complained about your job before. And I don't know what what that that moment was. Sort of, I, I think the the accumulation of jet lag, been on the road for 25 days, not taking a holiday, exhausted to the core, that I just sort of went into the stream of consciousness on the phone about how much I shouldn't be here. And something kind of snapped. And I'm not, till this day, I'm not quite sure what specifically happened. And my therapist says, let's not diagnose what happened. Let's just go with what it taught you, (laughs) you know, instead of trying to dig into what it really is is, but I couldn't leave the room for 48 hours. I had a full fear of leaving the hotel room that something was going to happen to me. I had a massive panic attack that became, that made me literally caged up into this hotel room for 48 hours. And I had to get an emergency flight from my company to fly out back home to get help. So this is sort of the moment, right? And as you can imagine, going through something like this is scary because you, Right away, blame yourself. Right, what's wrong with me? And I also look back at the history of my my family, especially on my mother's side, which has chronic depression, bipolar disorder, all these things that medically I'm like, oh God, it's my time now. Like this is is hitting me now genetically, and something's wrong with me. And so I have to get myself fixed. And so luckily. I was working with a great therapist that that didn't shove a bunch of medical pills down my throat, but actually really asked me some really powerful questions about where was I finding meaning and fulfillment in my life and what was missing for me that was causing my my physical body and my spiritual body to react this way. You know, that something's gone misaligned. Nothing's gone wrong with you. Something's gone misaligned. And this is your body telling you to rest, your body telling you to take a, a necessary pause. Working with her for about nine months was uh, lovely. And I think it really helped me to really look at some of these important questions because the truth was I was following a particular trajectory that was set up by my parents who took, we we gave up everything and we were very poor immigrating from uh, Malaysia, which is where I'm, where I'm originally born, to Canada, you know. And so the the truth that they gave me in my mindset was that It's going to be hard to make yourself into anything in this country. So you better work twice as hard. I remember my mom saying this, you know, and she'll listen to this, so she'll know. Uh, But, you know, she said, when you come here and you get your first job, you better work twice as hard as the white people. That's what she was to say to me, because we don't get opportunities like them. So you better grind to get promoted. And that stuck with me was that success meant working, overworking, overproducing, always trying to get attention for my worth. And no wonder that (laughs) that moment happened to me. So, you know, that that truth was planted to me by my parents, who maybe at some point that truth was true for them. Actually, they had a hard time finding a job and, you know, having any amount of success when we first first immigrated. But that wasn't my situation. But I took that
0: on as my own burden. Yeah, I I totally relate. You know, that's also something in African-American community where our parents tell us, not as bluntly as your mom, but that's the basic premise. You got to work twi- twice as hard as the white people <laughs> white people, because yeah. your opportunities are not going to be the same. And there are other people that have nepotism and families that own wings of hospitals. And, you know, there are all other type mm. of opportunities that aren't allo- are going to be allowed to you that you're just going to have to win off your hard work, intelligence and and sheer will. I totally, totally relate to that. So you actually gave me three truths here. And I'm going to I'll name them yeah. all. You tell me which one you feel like is, is the most prominent. So listen to your body. Right. That's the first one. Don't follow a script or somebody else's script for your life. And then success is not overworking. Those are the three that I sort of pulled out.
1: I would say the biggest powerful one, if I had to rate them, is definitely the success is not overworking. And the honest truth is, it's still something I, I, I need to work on today. Because I had a burnout, a second burnout when I was on my highest revenue year in my business a few years ago. You know, so it's funny how you can, I always say you can, you can eject the, the girl out of the cubicle, but sometimes the <laughs> cubicle mindset, you know, the caged mindset comes with you if you don't do the deep work, you know? So success is not always the numbers in your bank account, is how you get to those numbers, how you feel
0: about those numbers and what you think you have to sacrifice to get to those numbers, you know? Yeah, you know it's interesting that actually that that's a perfect segue into into one of my questions for you. You didn't say this, but I know I know this. When you decided to make your transition, it actually it took you about nine months, and a lot of that time, or most of that time, you were saving money, and then you decided to move to Bali. And so, was that part of the the plan to move to a country in in the southeast that maybe was financially would allow you a little bit more flexibility, or was it just you've always wanted to live there? Do you recommend that to clients like, hey, set yourself up financially first and then figure out what your next move is?
1: Mm, that's a really good question. The move to Bali was was actually happened about six months after I launched my first business, and my first business was not Screw the Cubicle. Right, right. Screw the Cubicle was an accident. <laughs> right, right. It was a blog that I created to document my identity crisis going through the employee <laughs> to entrepreneur journey. Right. And to be honest, it was the place that I would send my mother whenever she called me and said, "What the hell are you doing with your life? You had a six figure job and a you know a pension plan, and what are you doing? You're having a mid life crisis way too early, girl. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it was a place that I went, okay, I, I just don't want to answer to this. Cause I think at that moment when you're still in uncertainty, it's not it's very hard to take negativity and, you know, criticism at the time, even though my mom, I think in her language of love, warning me of uh, things that could happen to me is actually her, her act of love. <laughs> but it wasn't helpful to me at that point. So it was a place that I journaled and, and you know, talked about the journey, which actually eventually became a business, you know, to, a, a year later. But my first business was a, a transition business. I had a boutique agency that I set up in the same industry and actually my old employers became my first client and I w- it was kind of a consulting business and very small and micro and I only saw a few clients every month you know at, at my office space in Vancouver but six months into launching that business I remember and you know I don't know if you've been to Vancouver Vancouver is a, a gorgeous place one of the best places to live I think rated right at uh, number one these days <laughs> for best place to live in the world but it comes with a cost it comes with very high expenses and I I was certainly, um, as a first time entrepreneur, a lot of my money and my revenue was going towards things like rent, you know, things that were the, the three big things, right? That is the financial suck, which is a uh, mortgage or rent, food and transportation, right? These were the kind of the three big pieces. And I was thinking a lot to myself because I was wondering, is this the, and again, thinking bigger, right? About where was I the happiest, actually, even when I was in that that traumatic job that I left, it was during the time I was on a plane. And it was during the time that I would spend a few weeks in different countries. And I remember that was when my spirit felt the most alive, even though I had to go do eight appointments a day, right? And I remember thinking, why do I feel that I have to wait till... I can label myself a success in my business to start thinking creatively about living and working on the terms that I can actually put together now. we do have this mindset of like I'll do it when dot dot dot. I'll do it when I make my six figures I do it when I have a family. I'll do it when the kids graduate and leave the house, right? We always set these obstacles and and they're just imposed pressures. <laughs> Totally imposed. Right. And so I remember thinking, you know what? I'm from Penang, Malaysia. I've not visited my hometown for many years. I felt disconnected with my own cultural background as an immigrant child. Because I grew up at 10 years old in Canada, so I have a lot of Canadian values. But then there's this bloodline that is Asian and Malaysian, and they're a very different breed of people, very blunt as well. <laughs> and I didn't have any closeness to that. And I thought, I really want that. If I think of having a family and so forth, I want to have access to that culture to my children, for my children as well. And so then I started researching online, and there's a great website called nomadlist.io, which explores all the different nomadic places in, in terms of cost of living and how fast the internet is and are, is it good for families, et cetera, right? And I remember thinking, and I actually didn't come to Bali, first of all. I actually thought about going to Vietnam and then going to Malaysia as a stint because I have family there still. But yes, you're 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 absolutely right that the financial piece was an important part for me personally because I struggled with being poor when I was young. So I had a very tumultuous relationship with money. Every time it came in, it went out just as fast. Or I never knew where my money was, how, where I was spending on things. Or even when I earned money, there was a feeling that I can only celebrate it for half a second because I won't, I might not be worthy of this next month. You know, so you work hard again and you don't sit just keep going, right? You don't celebrate, you don't go, hey, why did that work? And how can I do more of that rather than more, 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 more things, right? And never trusting that when money came, it was a commitment, (laughs) you know, that it would happen to me continuously. And so if I didn't have that, you know, that's why I don't want to say everybody needs to take care of this right away because it all depends on the individual. And I think if you have a financial history that might make sure that you need some spaciousness to work with money in a better way, then how do we make this easier for ourselves? So instead of going, I'm just going to snap a finger and just, I'll just have better money mindset. Like that's just never going to happen, you know, in the next few, few, few years, even sometimes. Right. And so I want to, I like to think about things I can control. What can I really control? I can control where I live. I can control how I'm spending my money. I can control what I spend on that is purposeful to me. And those were things I can do now. And so did I have to be in Vancouver permanently? No. Is it a place that I might return to? Absolutely. I do that every year now, right? But the the idea of giving myself that spaciousness, uh, not to just travel to a new country, but to give spaciousness in my bank account, helped me to take risks, helped me to feel safe, as someone that came from a broken home, that is a really big piece for me. That sec- if I didn't have security, if I didn't feel secure and have some savings in a cushion pot, you know, at least six months worth of it, I didn't have the bravery to do something different. So those were my terms and those are my conditions, which I think will be different from for everybody. But I think there is a power in setting conditions so that our fears won't run amok. <laughs> on what about this? What about that? You know, you've kind of took care of that and go, okay, now do I have permission to take that leap? (laughs) Because I've, I've, I've set some, you know, it's a negotiation with fear in my opinion, that really worked for me.
0: Give us an example, like a month in Vancouver and the amount of space you get versus a month in Bali.
1: Yeah, totally. I'll even, even send you, maybe if you have a blog page for this interview is what my house looked like and what I paid for it, (laughs) you know, in Bali. So in Vancouver, I was in a one bedroom apartment that was paying about $2,500 a month. Okay. That's just 2,500 Canadian. And then food would, you know, my, my most sort of when I netted it and this was me choosing what was sort of non-negotiable expenses versus negotiable expenses. (laughs) So I was living very humbly, if you will. I wasn't eating out all the time. I cooked a lot, et cetera. Uh, but that still brought me to, to at least about $3,500, $4,000 a month in Vancouver.
0: Okay. And that's no, that's not even with travel. Yeah.
1: That's not what travel, that's just staying put being a good girl. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then when I came to Bali, I did a blog post on experimenting with three months of what I could do in Bali that was different from Vancouver. So I calculated my expenses. So this is me eating out three times a day. I had housekeeper that would help me out with some things you know every single every single month i had a house for uh, about one bedroom and an office uh and i had massages every week and you know like i had a scooter that i rented and things like that and it was a thousand usd a month (laughs) now that too you know for canadians listening that's about at the at that time about 1200 canadian a month you know for the exchange rate so still hugely
0: uh different four months to one yeah it's like four. It's Oh, my like, God. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. And when I think about the early days, like when I moved to Bali, I was still owning my first business and trawling through the cubicle because when I decided to be a coach, I didn't even know what a coach was, you know, so I didn't want to go into I didn't want to be one of those people that when I'm a coach today, I really gave myself like an internship, you know, I gave myself reason to learn, be certified, you know, things that I needed to do to feel good about it. So I, did, I couldn't depend on Screw the Cubicle to make me my safety income right away. And I wanted it to be a project that I could love rather than a project that was pressured, that I had to pay the bills and feed me and shelter me every month. So I was actually running two businesses at the same time in that transition period in moving to Bali. And if it wasn't for moving to Bali, I think it would have taken me a lot longer, you know, to launch Screw the Cubicle in a way that I wanted to launch it. Uh, and also, So I might have probably be a bit too scared to experiment with it because I wouldn't have room to experiment because every month I would need to make at least four grand to survive. Right. And so, yeah, it bought me some time. It bought me spaciousness to trial new things. And I think that could be a great head start for people that are you know exploring a vocation, uh, a career path, a, a, a scope of work that they might not be familiar with right away.
0: There's two things that you said that I don't want to gloss over. I want to make sure the listeners grab onto this. Why do I need to wait to be a success? And this is something really important. I see even with my clients, my coaching clients, that a lot of times a goal or success or whatever it is you want is that thing over there and you're always grinding and trying to get there versus sort of coming from that place, right? Coming from being the goal now and figuring out what I need to do to, you know bring it closer to me. So it's almost like bringing the goal in versus going toward the goal. And that's really important because that's essentially what you did. You said, "Hey, how can I sort of make this happen now? Why do I need to wait?" And you were, and you used the right your, your right brain. You were really creative and figured out a way to make it happen. And luckily, you know, you not only are you intelligent, but you also get a boyfriend but you didn't have any children, you didn't really have any ties, so you had a lot more flexibility. You actually have a quote on your, on your website that says, uh, where is it? We all feel this pull to do something bigger with our lives, right? And you also mentioned that term, think bigger. And I think it's a really important point that just kind of what I chronicled in the beginning, how so much of our upbringing is like in this little box. And sometimes, you know, and these people and, and places and structures from the outside are telling us what to do, where to go, how to think it takes a little bit of a muscle to think bigger, right? To really think outside that box.
1: I'm so glad you said it's a muscle as well, because I think sometimes people, right? People have that misconceptions that you're born with it or you're no. not,
0: right? You're either <laughs> successful
1: or you're not. Uh, and, and you're. it's like a muscle, it's like going to the gym, you know, no. like you're not strong right now, but if you keep working at it, it's, it's strengthening that muscle. And I think one of the biggest things around that mindset shift for me was actually the the redefining of success. like Because it's so easy uh, when I thought of a successful life was to look at my friends and to look at my colleagues that all had like two mortgages, you know, and things that. Like that defined that—that's the only kind of life that you can be happy about. And there was a part of that that didn't really jive with me. But to be honest, I didn't—I didn't see anything different. I, I didn't—I couldn't see a new reality. And that was one of the biggest motivations for me to travel. Actually, was because I needed to be educated and exposed. It's almost like exposure therapy to alternative families, to alternative lifestyles, to alternative ways that people are earning a living without being stuck in one place. And even though at that moment I didn't know how to do it exposing myself to a new community and to a new culture allowed me to see, wow, that can be normalized. That
0: was a a huge important part of my growth, too. It's also interesting. It shows the importance of environment, how the environment affects us and how we affect our environment. So taking you out of a metropolis like Vancouver and putting you someplace, you know, basically, I'll just call it a, a paradise like Bali. You I mean, you talked earlier about making space for yourself. I mean, I can imagine just the even the energy, the energetic difference of being in a one bedroom probably in a in a high rise versus, you know, your place in Bali, it's spacious, there's air wind coming through, you got people walking around. It's just a lot more um, natural and I could feel the difference. So, I'm saying all this to say that I'm sure when you work with clients that the environment is an important part of the uh, the transition. You know, whatever transition they're making, changing their environment Probably is also going to help them with the overall transition, the overall change, whatever that looks like.
1: Definitely, I mean, this month, for example, you know, is, is December of the last interesting, wild year we have as of twenty twenty. Twenty twenty. And you know, one of the things, one of the things that my clients and I are talking about a lot because as they're kind of dreaming about a new year, because it's hard to dream about a new year when things have felt bleak and a bit dark for this year, you know? And I remember them saying to me, uh, because we do a lot of sort of, you know, reflection of, uh, of a new year and dreaming for the future. And they're like, you know, Lydia, this year has been really hard for me to dream past what's gonna happen to me today. I I can't see the future. It's blurry, it's hazy. I've never felt this way before. And one of the challenges that I gave all of them was to actually leave the house and go and rent. You know, now that Airbnbs are a lot more affordable than usual, you know, to help encourage some local traveling. It's like rent a cute little cottage by the lake or, you know, something that you can afford and just literally extract yourself from the everyday routine and rituals and give yourself a new environment. And I think sometimes just the act of doing that kind of, acts as a pattern interrupt. You know, like we need a lot, like COVID itself is a pattern interrupt. (laughs) It's a wrench just thrown into our beautiful lives, right? But how can we cultivate, you know, new space, new environments for us without a, a pandemic? to happen right how do we actually consciously create these retreats these sabbaticals that actually humans really need you know so um I, i'm a bit lucky in bali that you know this place is where people come to holidays right. so i have like every retreat spot available <laughs> to massage me at every the moment week. i love
0: it massage, massage every, every week, for week $10. everything at 80
1: off <laughs> exactly <laughs> um so i take i take a personal retreat almost once every two months for five days you know and that's really helped me to recalibrate it's helped me to uh, take that necessary pause and to question some of my decisions at times and and be very quiet without the distraction of the day-to-day hecticness and and schedules that we can sometimes uh, impose on ourselves as as humans these days
0: there's actually a i'm using this term very loosely magical reason why changing your environment changes your mind your mindset do you know this
1: A little bit. Let me keep going.
0: Okay, so one of the spirit, one of the I think it's the third, third spiritual law is uh, as above, so below, and so the idea that the macro and the micro are the same, and so you can actually use that to help you or help your clients or yourself with with success. It's a lot. the, The point is that there's correspondence between the outside world and the inside world, and so if you literally move yourself to someplace else, it will essentially move your mind to someplace else it will shift your energy to someplace else because you're physically you're physically moving and it it i mean it works and if you don't believe me just do what lydia said go rent a cottage by the lake if you've been in in a city for a period of time and see how things will shift for you in a matter a matter of hours so it's very important so i'm a film guy um i've actually made a couple of uh short films some of them have been uh have been award-winning. Um, oh, wow. Just, I'm going to have just, to take a look at those. Yeah, just to uh, give myself a little, little kudos. But I, lo- I love, you know, I'm a, I'm a film buff. And all films have themes. And I I wanted to ask you, if you were to choose a theme that sort of identifies your process when you help people transition from corporate to uh, out of the cubicle into, into entrepreneurship, what would that theme be?
1: Hmm, that's a great question. I would say the theme has always been around reinvention how do and, and reinvention not at just once in your lifetime <laughs> that we are embracing that likely because we are wholehearted and people that are designed in mul- you know multifaceted ways is that we have to expect reinvention because most of the time i think we are waiting for that to happen to us and usually when does reinvention happen during a, a, a sort of loss a loss of a marriage loss of a job uh, death in the family Something like that, right? To shake up our lives, and then we go, okay. Now I'm ready to reinvent myself after a divorce. Very easily we do that. But what if we actually look at reinvention that is just actually every in every stage of our lives? Maybe it's every decade. Maybe it's even every year for some people, right? That when we expect reinvention to happen, it kind of feels less like, oh my God, it's happening to me, and I'm reacting to the circumstance. Rather, you know, I'm actually prepared to adapt you know, and be, be, be more malleable to what it is that we need to reinvent into. Because if we, we, if we choose a, if we choose a fulfilling life, we choose a purposeful life. This comes with the cost <laughs> of necessary reinvention all the time.
0: Yeah. You just it's, made there's me, there's no
1: one without the other.
0: You just made me think about just nature, right? Our, our, even our physical bodies, but it, let's just talk about the sun, right? Every day we get a, the sun goes down, it comes up. Our blood, like our blood, you know, red blood cells. We get new red blood cells every seventy-two days. Our skin—I don't know the statistics, but I know our skin sloughs off, you know, at some interval, and we get new skin every, you know, whatever. Say it's a hundred days. I don't know the actual days, but our body and, and nature is always reinventing itself. Even this this season of the site, the cycle of the seasons—it's mm. a reinvention. You know, still, it's going around in the same the same direction, but it's a reinvention. It's not summer all the time—at least not you know, not in uh, in the Northeast. In Bali, maybe it's in (laughs) the summer all the time. We have
1: rainy season and not rainy (laughs) season. That's all we have. That's it, yeah.
0: (laughs) But, you know, change is all around us. And, you know, that old adage about the only thing that's constant is change is is so true. And I think to your great point, you know, so many of us, we just kind of wait to see, all right, when is this thing going to happen? Not knowing we can take the reins and actually make it happen Mm. if that's what we want, right? If that's what Mm. we want. So-
1: Definitely. I mean, it's not easy to make changes as well. That's one thing, you know. Is to we 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 make it sound very easy in you know the memes and the you know <laughs> right. the, the, the Instagram <laughs> right. photo, right. someone lying on the beach and going, just change your life today. Um, but in, in you know, every individual has different obstacles, different histories, different belief systems that we need to de- deconstruct. And I think that's why therapy is such a a beautiful process. That um, I, I think you know my my best times of having therapy has not been when i was dealing with a crisis it was always when it's like maintenance like you maintain a car you change the oil and you know you do all the things we forget that we we do, can do that with ourselves we go to the gym we do we have memberships for that but we don't have this therapeutic gym for our minds that we show up for no matter if there's a crisis or not you, you know, know and actually those are the times that i've reached way better outcomes because i'm not battling a crisis in
0: order to do deeper work you know it's interesting <laughs> It's almost like, and your comment reminded me of this. It's almost like these catastrophes that happen. I mean, you 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 really laid it out there that you know when we have a death or some kind of loss, that that's when we usually start to change. And it's almost like we use those things as excuses, like, all right, I got a divorce now I can do such and such, or my mom died and now I can do such and such. You know, versus just go ahead and doing it right. So it's 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 interesting, and I could be wrong, but. To your point, and, and I'm almost feeling like when something like that happens for most of us, often it's the first time in a long time in either many months or many years that we actually get to slow down for a second or stop for a second. Mm. We usually get a couple of days off from work. People are very supportive of us. Right. And we have time. To your point, with Screw the Cubicle, why not take the time now? It's not easy, but Absolutely. why not take it now?
1: Yeah. And, you know, not everyone needs to jump off the cliff and hope the parachute opens. Right. Like you, right. And, and and just like with me, you don't have to do what I did, which is move your entire life to Bali. Right. I mean, th- those were what people forget is their incremental steps to make that happen. It wasn't an overnight decision. It was one tiny micro decision that every day compounded into a bigger choice. Right. And we we forget that because I think we're in a culture and society at the moment where we want everything really fast. You know, we want we want that, you know, crockpot. We get it by Amazon in one day shipment. Right. We want (laughs) an answer for something. We Google it and get an answer pretty quickly. Right. So there's this sort of um, right. Like we we want things fast and we want things now. And we have lost the art of deep, deep reflection and deep work. that is really necessary when it comes to especially things like identity change and changing careers and so forth we we hold a lot of our identity in things like a career you know so we have to explore what is it meant for us and so forth you know and I think if we consciously make time in our schedule just as we do with other important things as our families and going to work and so forth we need to just be able to schedule these whatever mini sabbaticals that could be a walk in the park once a week it could be a moment of silence for 10 minutes in your home but I think the more that we do that, we'll start to realize that when we give ourselves that spaciousness of not hectic and noisy things that we have to deal with and fight fires every day, then we have room to dream. We have room to question. We have room to challenge what is no longer right for us and what could be better
0: for us. Yeah, making a different decision. Let's jump into yes or BS. So I'm going to make a statement. Uh, you can say yes or BS, and you can expound as to why. Why not? Number one, the cubicle. Is a safe place to be?
1: Hmm. (laughs) I would say it's BS, but (laughs) there's also a part of me that is a yes for some people. (laughs) Like, you know, because that is what I believe. Let me explain what I mean by that, right? I mean, it's bullshit. It it would be bullshit in the context. (laughs) That's why my mom said I should have been a lawyer, you see. Um, (laughs) It's bullshit in the context if saying that statement to yourself makes you feel that if it goes, oh, I want to do this thing that's different, but this statement helps me feel safe and therefore I may not want to do this other thing, right? So if, if you're yearning for something and you say that the statement is untrue because there's obviously something in your body and your beingness saying, is this all there is? Could there be more? And I think that's the thing you need to trust. And, and, and for me, the cubicle is not just literally a physical place of a 60 by 60 square foot cubicle is a state of mind, Right. It's all, that's why I screw the cubicle. It's never about leaving jobs. I have clients that sometimes never leave their jobs actually, or don't leave their jobs, but they've reinvented the role within that job. It's an interesting thing. But I also want to say yes to some certain people that actually don't want to be entrepreneurs. There's actually no wrong in that. Like I, I have clients that actually do love working for companies. They do love working in a team. They like that feeling of security because they've got four kids to feed. And this is what for this stage of their life is the right decision. What they do want more of is fulfillment and happiness and meaning and connection to their work. And so where can we reinvent how they work in what they've got, <laughs> you know, we have assets that we've built and sometimes it's not just putting the middle finger to your cubicle and actually going, what, how can I actually test out my ability to reinvent myself with the cards I get to play right now? And actually that action can allow, you know, if you want to own a business down the road, that, that practice will be so beneficial for something like that as well. So, you know, so I don't really think a cubicle, uh, leaving a cubicle or starting a business is everybody's right path. It certainly isn't. But I think that if you've had this kind of nagging feeling, you know, that this is not all there is, and I, I would like to do more without the constraints a job description, you know, and, and, and having to deal with office politics or whatever type type of business you're currently, or organization you work for, then very likely there's a truth there, you know, that you need to explore.
0: Okay. Number two. Oh, and <laughs> to give some context, uh, people, her, her, one of her favorite fruits of pineapple. So here we go. Number two. Yes. <laughs> Pineapples are the best fruit to eat with meat.
1: Mmm. Yes. hundred percent. Yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) Love pineapples on meat. (laughs) Love pineapples for everything. Really? You know, it's a a beautiful fruit. I love it. I have it as a prop in all of my branding. So you can tell how much I love it.
0: Well, quick, quick, fun fact. Um, Pineapple also has naturally an enzyme in it called bromelain, which breaks down protein. So it actually is mm. the best fruit to eat with meat. So I, I, since, oh, you, right. love, since you love, since you love it so much, I thought I'd give you that fun fact.
1: <laughs> awesome! I put it in my smoothie every morning, so I'm getting all the nutrients.
0: <laughs> excellent, excellent. Number three: all businesses can be location independent. No bullshit,
1: BS. A lot of businesses can be location dependent. We've sort of quite found that out during COVID, how, how yes. even uh, physical businesses can uh, strive to have a location independent uh, model in order to serve. I would say the caveat to that is that even if you had a physical business and you that would be your primary way of serving, hopefully when we get out of this pandemic, um, is to also have an arm of location independent uh, model to your business because it gives you a safety. It gives you also access to potential other clients that aren't right in your doorstep, you know, which is a nice way to kind of scale. Is a nice way to expand, not only trust one way of earning an income, right? I mean, I do the same with my business. I would get very bored if everything was just online all the time. I want to meet my clients. I want to be able to touch them, hug them, you know? And so when before the pandemic, I was running retreats in Bali. I would run retreats wherever I stayed in Portugal, in Vancouver, and all these different places. I would do walk and talks as a way to meet and greet my uh, my clients that have been, or followers that have been a part of my, you know, community for a long time. And, and having that human interaction, that intimacy, it's also really important for online businesses, because when we miss that, we also feel very lonely, very isolated. And that is not the best way to go
0: either. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. Number four, freedom is not a destination. Hmm. Yes, correct. Yeah. And that piggybacks freedom on what we said earlier. Freedom a way of thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. I, you know, and I'll
1: say I used to think it was a destination, you know, it was a place. It was um, a certain structure of a family or or a partnership that I looked for. And I certainly had to reimagine what how to define freedom for myself. Sometimes it's a small action that I decide on every single day is my ability to free myself from <laughs> these so-called self-imposed pressures. I'm very good at putting for myself every day, you know. Yes, yes. So, yeah, it's a state of mind for sure, isn't it? That's
0: the tiger mom
1: inside of you. That's right. (laughs) Mom, I love you. If you're listening, you shaped me in all sorts of ways. What's your mom's name? My mom's name's Alice.
0: Alice. Hey, Alice. How are you? We give you a little (laughs) shout out on True Prescription. Number five, talents and gifts are the same.
1: Hmm. I guess I could, I I do put them into a sentence quite often together. Talents, gifts, because to me, it could mean... (laughs) The same. It could mean the same thing for a lot of people. Um, I think the minute you put skills <laughs> on that on that paragraph, that's when people go, "Oh, wait, give skills different." Because skills sometimes is about monetization, you know, and they they won't compare, do it, you know, or attach it to something potentially sometimes purposeful because work and purpose are really d- different for, 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 people sometimes. Uh, but I think, you know, however you might look at talents or gifts to me, it's just the, 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 something special that you give that helps people feel better about themselves or to do something better or easily. It's just something special that's unique to you. And only, you know, you could express that gift in a very personalized way. Right. So to me, it's kind of in the same family of what is your special sauce? What yes. is that genius zone? <laughs> yes. You know, um, but yeah, I do use those words interchangeably.
0: Yeah, I don't really know the answer. Um, I just wanted to hear your opinion. I've always thought of it a little bit like and this may op- oversimplify, but that like, talents are something that was given for you to help you and gifts are what you were given to help others. So I, I don't know, mm. but it could, it could, it, who knows?
1: That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I have the differences when I ex- explain, you know, skills and Gifts, right? Yeah. To me, gifts are something that would have been a part of who you are from a very young uh, age. It's yeah. like it's like when I used to play with my teddy bears. You know, it's like I lined them up in a talk show uh, scene. <laughs> you know, and I would always be teaching and doing cooking shows and presenting and teaching and connecting the teddy bears together for matchmaking show or something like that. Yeah. You know, and so that's like this innate thing that I just love connecting. I love teaching. I love educating. And Love a little bit of the limelight, you know, like I'd love to be a part of something, a topic or an idea. I'd like to be the one to uh, be the messenger, if you will, of a a concept. And can that be applied in any sort of vocation I choose? Absolutely. You know, it's a flavor, right? It's like ingredients that I come with, you know, as, as a human. Now, skills to me can be learned and it could be natural skills, right? So like learning how to coach, learning how to bring my gifts into helping someone within the skills of transitioning careers and, you know, thinking differently. That's a skill I had to learn to translate my gifts to a bigger purpose. Yeah. That's sort of how I look at it.
0: Absolutely. Last one I just came up with on the fly. I just thought about it about five minutes ago. So I'm going to ask you this. This will <laughs> be a, be a Bonus funny round one. Bonus <laughs> Number, where am I? One, two, three, four, five, six, this is number seven. Number seven, Lydia Lee is going to run out and get the COVID-19 vaccine.
1: <laughs> Just talking about this with my mother. So she can travel actually. and see her clients. Well, it's, you know, I, I still don't know this answer, to be honest. <laughs> that, that's an answer. Um, I really I like don't. It. Okay. I don't know this answer and I don't want to be quick in making this Solid answer to say yes, I'm taking it or not. Of course, on a logical level, if I could take it to be able to open up my world again, sounds amazing, you know. And we're actually getting the vaccine a bit earlier than you guys in the states. We're getting we're we're getting it this month, actually. So it's you know we have a lot more options here as well on this side of the world. But to me, I kind of want to see how things pan out. You know, that's my sort of calculated risk persona. You know, I'm also not a jump off the cliff and hope your parachute opens. I, I kind of want to see how things are, how the studies go with the vaccine with a certain amount of people. Uh, in the next six months, you know, and then evaluate from there um how I feel about it and 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 the and the exchange that I'm willing to make for what I might call my freedom, right? Which is traveling back to see my mother and you know my friends and being able to go to Europe and things like that, which was on the roster this year. Uh, but if it's something that may risk because uh, I also want to start a family. So if that, if there's any studies that would show me, and maybe you might know since you're a doctor, uh, you know, that it would affect my chance of getting pregnant or, you know, uh, it could affect certain things in that is, process. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Then I might actually have to exchange my love for travel and exploration for this bigger purpose in now the stage of my life,
0: right? Every Every day is a choice, isn't it? Every day is a choice and everything has a cost. So that's that's, mm. a, that's a nice way to end it. <laughs> that's a nice way to end mm. it. Lydia, Love this it. has been fantastic. Tell the people how they can reach you, connect with you, see you on social media, check out your videos.
1: Well, screwthecubicle.com is my online home. And from there you can actually see where to access my social channels. So one of the best places to get started is actually my YouTube channel that I have a, a TV show every week. Uh, and you know, you you'll get be able to actually go back into the videos and different playlists there. Whether you're transitioning careers, starting a new business, or just going through uh, doing wanting to do something different. There's probably a playlist there for you. So <laughs> if you go to YouTube, youtube.com and just you know, punch in through screw the cubicle, you'll be able to find me. And I think from this conversation if people kind of felt inspired to take the next step in some way of like understanding what do they want? You know, what, what does a new year hold for them? And, um, just get started on, on questioning these things for themselves. Um, a good place to start is, and that's available again on my, on my website, screw the cubicle, but you can also go to screw the cubicle.com forward slash reinvent. And then I have a a, a a little masterclass called How to Reinvent Yourself. Yeah, great yeah, how training. To your meaningful- I, I, I did look yeah. at it, great training. Oh, you've you watched it?
0: Yeah, I did. Oh, good. It's great training, yep. I Yeah, I nothing fancy, it.
1: no slides. <laughs> no, no, nothing fancy technology. It's just me actually guiding you through a series of questions. And you get to spend about an hour with me and let's dive deep. Maybe a, a good exercise to do before the year ends, you know, right. as a way to be really intentional about what we want to experience in a meaningful life next year.
0: Yeah, 2020 has been a a year of reinvention. So uh, why don't you just (laughs) be in that same flow? Whether we want
1: it to or not.
0: (laughs) Yes, be in that same flow and, you know, think about your own reinvention. Lydia, thank you so much. This was great. Uh, I think you gave the guests a lot of juice to drink, a lot of pineapple juice to drink today. And uh, (laughs) definitely appreciate it. I will sign off as I always do, that the truth will set you free if you let it.